0: Okay, it might be this one.
1: Two large bowls, sift so three cups of self-raising flour uh, and yeah. one teaspoon.
2: Let's app. Let's Zeppelin.
0: Let's Try the Gillette Fusion Pro Glide today. <sighs> You're going to find a blades first versus fusion. Uh, hang on here. This one, this one, this one.
2: I'm Kid Rock and this is how I wrote that song. Ah, All Summer Long, which everyone knows has a lot of tinges of other songs. So my engineer came in while we were doing Rock and Roll Jesus, and he um, he had Where Was the London looped up over a beat. I was like, Oh, that's cool, but you know I'm not really doing that type of thing right now. It's a different type of record. And I sat there listening to it going on. I had a guitar in my hand. I started plucking Sweet Home Alabama to it, which is in the same key, fit perfectly with the chord structures. And if you throw an F in there, it's Go on, Take the Money and Run. There's a million songs in that vein. And what I found over the years is I like. I never liked to go to clubs and go
3: oombs, oombs,
2: all night long, it drove me up the wall. But then when they started doing the mashups with the old kind of hip hop beats with the classic rock songs, whenever, I was like, oh, I can get into this, I like this. So <clears throat> at that point, we used to do mashups when I was a DJ as a kid, different stuff like that. Spending 45 records, putting them on 33 and mixing them with hip hop records and stuff. So it's kind of been my world for a long time. And even though a lot of the critics said, oh, I just ripped off a song or whatever, I thought it was actually very creative. I was doing something that had never been done. Because even though mashups have been done, nobody's ever taken two songs, mashed them up, and wrote and written an original uh, lyric and melody over the top of them. So we did it. and. Um, it seemed to work out pretty well. And we were trying different things, and we were smoking funny things, making love up by to our favorite song, sipping whiskey out the bottle, not thinking about tomorrow, singing sweet home Alabama all summer long.
0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, the show that helps you get your mojo working in and out of the workplace, and... uh I'm panelling at the moment because Robbo's late to the studio, so I got tired of waiting, so I thought I would start the show. And that little piece that I found just then, uh, that is Kid Rock being interviewed backstage at the Jimmy Fallon talk show uh, in America. And he was talking about how he created a song called All Summer Long, which is a, a massive song that was played on pretty much every radio station in Australia. And he was just talking about how he went about creating that song and how it was a mashup of Werewolves of London, uh, Take the Money and Run by uh, Steve Miliband and Sweet Home Alabama, one of the greatest songs of all time by Leonard Skinner. And hey, I just Bertie. thought it was an interesting... Oh, hang on. Yeah, yep, yeah, mate, yep. You're sitting in my chair. <laughs> you're... Oh, you're recording. You were late. You're recording. <laughs> recording. Mate, you're late. Sit down. But right, let, on,
1: let, me, let me catch you up. Oh, you've been out for a jog this morning, haven't you? This is all soggy. This seat.
0: <laughs> well, I was under pressure. I was. It was it's hard, panning. It so I not And you've been
1: playing with my just, massager settings. I pretty much pushed every button. <laughs> <laughs> and, and listen, we anyway. can't record without the lava lamp lit. What are you doing?
0: True. There we go. All yeah. right, we're we back into it again. We're into it. <laughs> so, Sorry, I'm late. What I was. St- Le, folks, we, I'm, I'm sorry for interruption. However, the show's already rolling, Robert. So, where I was at was I thought, I'm talking about Kid Rock, and he got interviewed, which I'll play ah, back to you later. Yeah, uh, He got interviewed about how he wrote the song called All Summer Long. Mm. And he got criticised because it was a combination of Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London, Steve Miller's Take the Money and Run, and yeah, Sweetheart Home Sweet Home Home Alabama" by Leonard Skinner. Mm. Indeed. People were saying he just ripped off a song. Whereas his thing is that mashup is something he's done all along, and mashing mm. things up is actually part of the creative process. And I just thought it was an interesting thing for folks to think about for the year ahead that creativity doesn't have to be a completely original thought nice. in such it can be the combination of a number of other things which you then put together to create something which hasn't been done before, hence being original and, in some cases, novel. So Mm -hmm. I just like the premise of it. I've always remembered when he talked about um, how he wrote that song. And that song was played on country stations, rock stations, Mm -hmm. adult contemporary stations. I mean, everybody played it. Yep, um, and no one had ever put together those pieces and it formed something original, which was an outstanding success. So do you know what I mean? Like it's quite yeah. often and something you talked about in one of our previous episodes where you have a, um, a, a digital journal mm. where when you're recording, you go back and listen to other stuff and then take from that and then you mash up, don't you? That's right. Inspiration is more the word for me. Yeah. Mm. Stuff mm. that inspires
1: me. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. So I don't think we should be afraid of mashing stuff up. And, you know, if you're in the corporate world or you're in the social profit world, whatever, it's being open to seeing what's going on around you and taking the best of the best from everywhere, putting it together into a new format and then recreating it to form. That's where I think, you know, creativity, innovation, it's another tool we can use in the process. And Mm -hmm. I just thought that Kid Rock was very eloquent in the way he put it together and very honest in the way he put it together as well.
1: And also a very cool song let everything else aside. Can you play a bit of it? this button, Gary?
2: And we were trying different things And we were smoking funny things Making love out by the lake To our favourite song Sipping whiskey out the bottle Not
1: thinking about tomorrow Singing Sweet Home Alabama Oh, so long
0: Getting your mojo working this
2: is the Mojo Radio
0: Show. Over the last number of months on the Mojo Radio Show, grit, resilience, backbone has been an underlying theme and we've talked about it in terms of kids. You know, we've talked about the Cherrybrook uh, Under 11 rugby team that Robbo was heavily involved with in coaching. We've talked about it from a leadership business. We've talked about it from our own kids, our own homes, We've talked about it from you and I that it's just it's such a great term and there's Mm -hmm. a lot of discussion now about grit and we thought we would get an expert on the subject. In fact, how we came to know Carolyn was we saw a TED conference speech and anybody who hasn't seen TED conference, it's TED.com. And there are eighteen-minute speeches by experts of all sorts of fields—the best in the world—go to TED and speak. And Carolyn was one of those guests. So, um, have we got on the line there, Roy? Yeah, she's she's here. Carolyn, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show.
3: I wouldn't miss the Mojo Radio Show. Thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> oh, what a ringing endorsement
3: oh, already! Yeah. What a
0: good foot to start on. Yeah. Caroline, can you just give us a a quick snapshot of your life today and the sort of work you're doing today and who you're doing it with?
3: Sure. Um, I am a performance coach. I'm based in just around Washington, D.C. in the United States. And I work with men and women around the world who find me through a variety of ways, quite often my books, um, particularly my fifth book, Creating Your Best Life, which has been a bestseller in the goal setting field. And actually, it is the goal setting by Bowl for the spring box the rugby team featured in Invictus. Yeah. Whoa! So that coach contacted me a year ago and asked me to fly to South Africa. So I I know that sports teams have really um, been able to use. I, I was I wrote the first evidence based book on goal accomplishment, um, and it's linked to the science of happiness. So um, I have. I've been doing that for many years. I also have a very long history as a pioneer in the field of eating disorders because I was the first person ever to overcome an eating disorder called bulimia and write write an autobiography because I felt compelled in 1988 to let people know that there was at least one person recovering in the world because people were hopeless and so 30 years later i just published the first book by anyone who was tw- 25 years of recovery so there is a theme of grit and finding happiness real happiness and accomplishing huge goals that runs from book one to now i'm writing my seventh book authentic grit so i think that sums it up
0: that's cool and just uh, as an aside robbo what Caroline didn't mention is that Amazon has named uh, Creating Your Best Life mm. in its top 100 books for this year. Wow. There you go.
3: Well, let me- let me correct you. Um, you know so many authors are red-faced in the United States because Amazon started a campaign that embedded that in a lot of book web pages and I'm one of many authors who thought that was true mm. and tweeted mm. about it and then had to retract it almost immediately. But it should be one of the fir- top 100 books. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we agree. You know <laughs> We agree. Let's start a campaign.
3: Why not? So um,
1: Caroline, can I just ask you one favor though? If you get a guy a call from a guy called Steve Hansen, who's the coach of a team called the All Blacks and asks uh-huh. you to come and talk to them, you're unavailable that day. Is that okay? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm just going to assume I'm going to look that up later and figure it out. But the answer is I'm an- unavailable, obviously. Yeah.
1: Well, the All Blacks are the New Zealand rugby team and they're arch rivals of the Wallabies, the Australian rugby team. So, you know, Springbok's wow. great, but All Blacks, no. <laughs>
3: Okay, you know what? Anything you say, your wish is my (laughs) command. Okay. (laughs) And let me quickly just correct anyone's misperception. I didn't give a talk at the real big TED um, conference, which is really where the superstars go. I spoke at a TEDx spin-off, mm. which is just as rigorous and just as yeah. fun. But it's not the one in Monterey, California, as much as I wish it were. Um, but a lot of TEDx talks have gone viral because the content is quite often just as good, if not better, than some of the TED talks that are out there. So I was honored to be picked, and I, I obviously impact About the topic I spoke about.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that TED today, the the quality across all the different versions of TED really resonates with people. I just think today TED is the website that carries great speakers sharing great content. Yeah, I agree. Um, Let's speak about TED and the TED speech you gave. Uh, focused on grit, can you, because I know you, you have studied the science behind this with some of the people who mm-hmm. really are doing hard research behind it. Can you just give us an understanding straight up of what is it?
3: Yeah. Um, grit is defined as passion and perseverance in pursuit of long-term goals. And that's uh, the, the definition put forward by Angela Duckworth, who is one of the people I met when I went back to school about nine years ago and got one of the first 34 degrees in the world uh, in the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology. I went to the University of Pennsylvania and Angela Duckworth is doing her amazing, amazing research there. Um, she got one of the MacArthur Genius grant awards in 2013, unrestricted, I think, quarter million dollars to continue her research. And she just got a million dollar book advance for a book on grit. So um, people really want to know about grit because People don't have it anymore. That's just the bottom line, and um, I'm I'm passionate about it because I think you can develop it just as I had to develop it to save my own life, essentially, and because I've been fascinated by goals. You know, um, how do you set the right goals? What are the goals that bring you meaning and purpose, and and um, that can change your life? And what are the ingredients to get there? I became fascinated by grit because it's so much deeper and broader than simple resilience which we all need which is just getting up and you know not not quitting when things get hard but grit is something so unique and it's almost the word is almost overused now it's become a mm-hmm. little bit too pedestrian grit is exceptional resilience it's resilience over many years with guaranteed failures built into it and that is unique and that's what i want to uh, look more at now
0: so I've got a couple of bits on this. The first bit to paint the, the picture for somebody: Can you give me an example of how grit is different to just perseverance in in a real life situation?
3: Resilience would be, let's see, say you tear your ACL. You're playing a rugby match, you tear your ACL, and um, you you have to have surgery and you rebuild, and then you get back on the field the following year. So that's resilience. Grit mm-hmm. is that happens once, and then you break your shoulder the next year, and and your collarbone and you have this long term goal of achieving a certain kind of prominence or status or being a finisher in the world. And so grit would be getting up over and over and over and over again because there's something you're passionate about and you want to get to the finish line. And you might not get to the finish line, um, but you will essentially leave it all on the floor um because you will have no regrets because you didn't become a quitter.
0: Mm, that's gold. That is beautiful. Robbo, he's gold. There's gold, and then there he'll. Mm-hmm. That's gold. gold. <laughs> so, is it fair to say what I just wrote down? I think that was that. That line is going to go in our best ofs. But is grit being a finisher no matter what? And having no regrets?
3: I would say so, because having grit and pursuing a goal that you're really passionate about has to be something that lights you up. Um, It doesn't always mean you will succeed, but it does mean that you're going to get further than people who don't have grit and you will know you gave it your best shot. Um, And so that is the satisfaction at the end of the day that we're all looking for, because there's research showing That at the end of every single day, whether we know it or not, we scan our days for things we're proud of. And inevitably, Mm. the things you are proud of are the things you pursued outside of your comfort zone. And... Too many people, and I'd say the figures are around 80%, too many people stay inside their comfort zone and don't risk failure, and they don't risk feeling unhappy or uncomfortable. And uh, as a result, a lot of people, most people, never find out what they're really made of, because you can be successful in life, but that doesn't mean you've gone out of your comfort zone. It can mean you're extraordinarily talented, and you just stood up and did the thing that you're really good at. Grit is something so, so different. So I'm Mm. I'm example A. I was um, growing up in Washington, you know, private girls school, one of the best in the country here. Um, You know, president of the class, blah, 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 smart enough, you know, swimmer, all the rest of it. But what took me down and and brought me to my knees was this eating disorder, and I couldn't beat it, but I was able to succeed in all these other things, but I didn't have grit because I mm. didn't know how to how to fight it and to keep getting up over and over. So, I had to cultivate it. So, I had success, but I didn't have grit. Now, I have both. So, in
0: that time, because you wrote about it, you know, being your dark secret during that time, mm-hmm. Caroline, is... Is it fair to say that the difference between grit and not having grit is that in in your own self, you knew that you weren't giving it your best shot? Yes,
3: I knew that I was a quitter. Um, And there's a fine line between being a quitter Mm. and kind of um, licking your wounds and having a pity party for yourself and Mm. just shaking your shoulders and saying, it beat me today, but I'm going to beat it tomorrow. And if tomorrow doesn't work, I'm going to get, you know, keep going. And so I'm a veteran of 12 step programs, which you probably know what I'm talking about. And that's why Mm -hmm. one of the slogans is one day at a time, because gritty people, they wake up and they just keep going. And interestingly enough, there's this huge study that came out in Uh, 2008, a guy named Bruce Hetty did it. And it was a long-term study of people over 15 years. And what they found was that the happiest people had a few things in common. One of them is that they set really hard goals. And the second one was that they weren't quitters and they didn't make excuses for the things that didn't break their way. And as, as you know from my TED Talk and, and us talking just a little bit earlier here, I am really fascinated by the fact that the self-esteem movement, at least in this country, has left us with this generation called the New Millennials, and they're the most overtrophied. trophied over-coddled generation of all time and the disaster it has left in its wake has given Mm. us the least gritty generation of all time. And it's fascinating how broad the tentacles and wide and deep the tentacles are from raising a bunch of babies.
0: Robbo, that's a segue. Sherry Brooke.
1: <laughs> I was actually going to say. Let's talk about rugby. Well, we had. It's not really about that, but we just had the conversation a couple of weeks ago about kids who turn up to anything. It doesn't have to be a rugby game, swimming carnivals, athletics carnivals, and come away with a ribbon for coming sixth, oh, yeah. seventh, and eighth. Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, and yet when I grew up and I'm sure when you grew up and you were a swimmer from what you've said, you didn't get anything unless you were good enough to come one, two or three
3: Absolutely and you know what everyone knew there was a one, two and three I mean sports is beautiful because it teaches you about life and there's mm. this uh, Supreme mm. Court Justice in the United States very famous quote, he said when he wakes up in the morning he looks at the front page of the newspaper and all he sees are man's failures and then he goes yeah. to the sports pages and he sees man's triumphs, mm. because or women's triumphs people's triumphs because sports teaches you so much about character mm-hmm. I, I am mm-hmm. fascinated by sports mm-hmm. psychology and i happen to live a few houses away from katie ledecky mm-hmm. um, who mm-hmm. you all mm-hmm. know she's the best female yep. swimmer in the world at the moment holds a number of world records and that girl personifies grit and i think mm-hmm. she's put a stake in the ground mm-hmm. around what it takes to succeed without the buoyant suits and without you know all the falderall. she's just a hard worker and she personifies what we all need to do and i I think we're fascinated by people like her. We're fascinated by special forces. That's why people want to go to the movies and SEAL Team 6 this and all the rest of it because people want to be tougher. I believe they don't know how and that's what I've set out to do is teach people the small things that are accessible to all of us that can move the needle on your grit score.
1: Can I ask you this just quickly? And I know you said we need to learn it but do you think it's also innate in us because and, and I'll draw a rugby anal- analogy, and I'm sorry, but this is what I've got to draw on. Um, in under six to under ten, under nine, sorry, they don't, in inverted commas, score the rugby games with the kids that I, I coach. But mm-hmm. the first question out of every child's mouth when they came off the field at the end of the game was, did we win? Mm, interesting. So do you think it's that grit is something that's ingrained but we teach our kids to ignore, or is it something that we have to purely learn?
3: Um, well, Angela Duckworth uh, talks about this, and I'm going to defer to her research. And she feels it's much like um, happiness. Um, at least half half of our happiness and half of our ability to be gritty is hardwired. So some people are more impulsive. Some people are, you know, pessimistic, and you're born that way. But the good news is that about half of your ability to be that person, to be happy, to be gritty, is completely up to you especially what you choose to think about and what you choose to do. Mm. So I do think that many of us are naturally competitive. I think that's the way we're wired. Um, We're wired to have mastery experiences. It's called self-determination theory. But what we're not always wired to be is tough, particularly if you grow up in an environment where someone's always coming up behind you and cleaning up your mess Mm. or telling you you're a winner when you haven't done anything to be a winner. And I've I've watched this kind of unfold in my children's lives lives, and my kids are 25, 22, and 19, and just in that six-year span, from the 25 to the 19-year-old, as they went through elementary school, I watched the most bizarre thing happening. They started to eliminate things like fun runs, because there were winners and losers, and, you know, some people are more talented, some people train, some people run faster. So what? That's the world, right? But there were parents who Mm. complained that their children's feelings were hurt, so they eliminated it. And that's just one tiny example of what I've seen. So between those six years, the first one going through, he had a fun run. Six years later, there was no fun run. So the speed with which um, they've been able to dumb down competition, all the playgrounds in the United States are plastic now. There's no risk. Mm. There's no um, there's just no way to get hurt. you can't you can't do anything daring because they've all been dumbed down. It's insane. It's truly insane. Caroline,
0: how do we move the needle? So there's somebody listening to this and going, you know what? I want some more grit. I totally buy into what you're saying. Yeah. Can you give me one or two or th- you know, three things that somebody could do mm-hmm. immediately to start moving the needle?
3: Absolutely. Here are the three things I think they do. The first thing gritty people do when they're faced with a challenge is instead of asking themselves, why should I do that? Gritty people ask themselves, why not? So somebody says to you, hey, do you wanna do you wanna go for that 30 mile bike ride? Instead of saying, why? I mean that's hard. I don't have the clothes. I don't know, say why not? Sure, just take it take a gamble, take a risk. Nice. You know, because nice. yeah. the greatest risks in life usually result in the greatest rewards. That's you can go to the bank on that one. Second is find a way when times are tough to just see something different in your brain. Change the channel. Um, have a phrase, sing a song. I was talking to an Ironman athlete who has a brilliant thing he does. When he wants to quit on the bike or the swim or the run, he says to himself, Well, you know, the bill right now, the bill at three miles, he can't make that decision. So I'm gonna let the bill at six miles, he makes the decision. And then he runs another couple of miles and he's at six miles. He goes, You know what? The bill at nine miles, he can make that decision. So he <laughs> kicks he kicks the can forward.
2: Um, and then the-
3: You know, the third thing is gritty people have teams around them and they build those teams um, in positive ways and they give to other people unstintingly. So those are things you can do immediately. Stop being a Debbie Downer. Stop being around people who bring you down. Stop doing that to other people Um, and find something that lights you up. Have a passion. Don't be afraid to have a passion and go for it. So many people are like, what if, what if, what if? But you know what? At the end of your life, hospice workers have found the number one regret that the dying have is that you lived somebody else's life, that you didn't live the life that you really wanted to live. And that's a very poignant, terrifying thing to consider.
0: Gary, see, that's uh, that's pretty powerful.
1: God. That's a black bulb moment. Absolutely.
3: Great. <laughs> Folks, we are
0: talking to Caroline Adams Miller and uh there is so much gold in them, their hills. We're going to let people just take the time to write down those notes because that was, that was gold. Take a quick break and we'll come back. The Mojo Radio Show.
1: I'm sure you're familiar with the term thought leader. Uh-huh. Is a thought leader and someone with grit necessarily the same thing? Like, do I have to be a thought leader to have grit?
3: Oh, that's a good question. Um, no, I don't think thought leaders necessarily, by definition, are gritty. Mm. I think you're mm. a thought leader if part of the thinking that you are spreading to other people is something that ha- has come to you because of grit you've displayed, something mm. you've overcome, some mm. wisdom you've amassed. Mm. Um, because, you know, when you study great managers and great leaders, they have a quality called battle-hardened confidence. And leaders only have have followers because they know that those people have been tested by life mm-hmm. so they might you know leaders might have grit but not necessarily um it's a really good it's a really good question you know grit is unique grit is something and and it's not just for olympians it's not just for um the tippy top people in the world you can have grit in people who've been sober from alcohol for 30 years you can have Mm -hmm. grit Mm -hmm. in somebody Mm -hmm. who solved an unsolvable math problem Mm -hmm. just because it lit them up you can um you can have grit it By just um, tending to a disabled child um, for many, many years with all hardship. I mean, that's what grit is really all about. Grit is its own reward because you show up and you show up and you show up and you show up and nothing deters you. And and I'm just impressed. Of course, assuming here that the goal is a positive one, that the goal is something that makes the world a better place in some way, because you can be gritty with all the wrong goals. And we can all think of examples of terrible, horrible human beings who, who displayed a lot of grit in pursuing their own selfish ends.
0: It's interesting that that statement you just made about it lit them up. I think it's fair to say, Robbo, the people we have spoken to on the program, mm each person we talk to have found their thing that lights them up. It's a really Mm -hmm. good thing for someone to take away who's listening to say, am I really doing what lights me up every day? Right. And if I live someone else's life, I'm essentially in some ways perhaps lighting up someone else's world because it's their dream. We spoke to a a guy recently who who we said, you know, what was the dream for you starting your project? He said, I want to feed the world. Hmm. And the passion that came down the line talking to him from England, mm-hmm. it, it just lit him up. It's such a nice phrase for people to walk away and just stop the car or sit on the train, look out the window and say, is what you're doing really lighting you up? Because um, mm-hmm. I suspect that is, it would be fair to say that that, that piece Is a stepping stone to having grit?
3: Yeah, because the people you're describing at some point probably had audacious dreams. And instead of asking themselves, why should I go feed the world? They said, why not? You know, why not? They went for broke. Um, I think what we're also describing is purpose. So, purpose is never about giving to yourself. In Japanese, the word is ikigai. and, And when it's translated, it's basically that which I wake up for. And so when you study the blue zones, where, you know, the places where people don't just live the longest lives, they live the longest, most fulfilling lives, um, they found in Okinawa, which fits the d- description, this Japanese word ikigai. Everyone who wakes up there, no matter what their age is, they have a purpose. They know there's something they do. They have a vegetable garden um, that, you know, has produce that they give to other people that allows them to live better or whatever. But everybody knows what they contribute. They wake up for something. And people who have purpose are ones who light the world up because it's not just about them. It's about giving to other people. And truly, that that is what makes life worth living. It's it's a solitary life if you're waking up only to light yourself up um, for your own selfish ambitions. I am completely lit up by the science of positive psychology um, and connecting it with the science of goal setting. I'm the first person to ever do that. And I just feel compelled to make sure people know, forget the secret, forget the law of attraction. It's, it's garbage, please. Just, this is the 21st century. If you want something, it's not enough to wish for it. You have to have grit. You have to work towards it. So I think it's time that we really stop the magical thinking and say, What is it that you want to do with your life? What is your purpose? Well, guess what? Lace up your shoes, shake your shoulders, and uh, get determined, change the channel in your brain, and go do it. And then they've, you know, Angela Duckworth has found that grit is contagious. So West Point is the is the military um, academy here for the army. And um, what they found is that taking this simple grit scale test has been the key determining factor of of deciding who drops out of West Point and who doesn't. So it's not your SAT scores, it's not your class rank, it's not your, it's not any kind of supervisor rating. It's not anyone else's, um, you know, anybody else's determination of who they think you are. It's this simple little test, the Grit Scale, and what Angela has found that if if um, a cadet comes into West Point and they have a low grit score, you know what they do at West Point? They room you with a high grit score because grit is contagious. Because you watch what gritty people do, and it becomes the new norm in your life that you don't quit. How do I do the Grit Scale? Um, Well, I have built it in on my site um, and my main site is carolinemiller.com but if you just go to authenticgrit.com I'll connect you to the grit scale along with a challenge to do three things differently and I'll send you reminders because I do believe truly do believe that the big the big study now is how do you cultivate it how do you build it Um, and so it's on my site otherwise you have to kind of crawl through the University of Pennsylvania site and a few other places so if you just say authentic grit dot com i'll get you there
0: yeah um it it is that easy robbo i um i have been in and done the grit scale looking it up now (laughs) yeah it's fantastic and it's just it's very very simple folks for anyone to do i highly suggest you go in there because um you know what 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 gets measured you can do something about as opposed to just um thinking maybe so we will put a link to that in the show notes Mm -hmm. um Caroline, how do you personally deal with that voice of doubt? Bono from U2 said every night when he goes on stage, it's like a boxer going into the ring and your opponent is, your, is yourself. And you just hope that on any given night, your best self wins when you walk on stage. Yeah. How do you deal with that voice of doubt? What, what are your own particular personal
2: tools?
3: Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think I'm just going to point back to my recovery from my eating disorder because mm, I started mm. recovering at 21, 30, 30 years ago, and beating that and, and being alive and healthy today is probably the, the accomplishment I'm proudest of. Um, and the tools that I had to you know use every single day to overcome temptation, I mean, eating disorders are really hard to overcome because... Because temptation is everywhere, multiple times every day. So um, I draw a lot of confidence from the fact that I beat that and that I found a lot of ways to delay gratification. And I think that if I could do that, I really do believe that there's not much else I can't even I can go for. And you know what? If I can't figure out how to do it, I'll find somebody how to teach me. And I just have that mm. basic belief that I'll give everything my best. Now, do I, in the middle of a hard swim practice, because I'm a I'm a nationally ranked swimmer here, a master swimmer, and the, the the practices are grueling mentally, physically, whatever. Mm. And I find there are times in the middle of a set, I think, can I make it? And I've been, I use this, this self-talk I've been reading about that. Um, and it's a new finding that the body only quits when the brain tells it to quit. So I find I'm playing with a lot of my self-talk, and I think that's helping a lot. And then the third thing I do is I surround myself with other can-do people um, because their energy, their contagion is really positive for me. And and the other thing is you never want to just falsely praise yourself. I mean, you have to be really realistic. There's some things you can't do, Yeah. but I'd rather die trying Than give up without seeing what I'm made of. And I think that attitude, that why not, has just become my motto, why not? So I'm as scared as anyone else. And actually, Angela Duckworth's research has found very interesting that high grit people, they hate doing the hard things as much as low grit people. The (laughs) difference is high grit people just find a way to do it. We are in the new year to be an
0: outstanding year for any of our listeners, what would you say would be a couple of key Small steps, incremental steps, people could do to make sure that this year is an absolute cracking year?
3: Uh, A couple things. There's a very simple exercise that's very powerful, and the evidence shows it changes you in multiple ways. I have it as a free download on my website. It's called Best Possible Future Self. Everybody should pause in their lives and do this very simple exercise, and here it is briefly. Imagine yourself 10 years in the future as if everything has gone as well as possible. So, there's no barrier to entry. Anything is is possible. And you write about that. And you write about it three days in a row, 20 minutes at a time, and you cover all the categories in your life. And what you find is that you gradually get beneath the surface of just the superficial mm. things, and you go deeper and deeper. It changes you. You become more hopeful. You become more optimistic. You have more zest. People commit to their short-term goals. That's one thing. I think the second thing people should ask themselves is, What will I regret not pursuing if I don't get going now? If I'm looking back on my life, how am I not that person in hospice saying I live somebody else's life? So my favorite question with clients is, what will you regret not pursuing? The third thing is... Get away from the black holes in your life. This social contagion theory is very, very interesting. We become who we spend time with. And so happiness is contagious. Loneliness is contagious. Obesity is contagious. Quitting smoking is contagious. And if you want to change your life, be around change agents. Find ways to be positive. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there about positive psychology. Your country is an epicenter of positive psychology. You've got the Geelong Grammar School, for heaven's sake. It's a positive psychology factory. Um, So there's so much out there that you can learn to be more positive, which then predisposes you for success. I don't know how many people know this slam dunk finding from positive psychology, but all success in life across all domains is preceded by being happy. Be first. So I used to think that I get happy if I'm successful, when in fact the research is the opposite. You have to be happy and flourishing first in order to succeed. And a huge part of that is who do you spend time with? Who are the people? make it into your life whose emails are you reading whose voice are you listening to because you will become those people and here's an interesting thing most women don't know how to get frenemies out of their lives so 84% of women say they have friends who are enemies and they just don't know what to do because they don't want anyone to think that they're not nice well that's going to kill you it's going to kill you in life it's going to kill you with your goals you have to be around people who are you know there's a figure in basketball called the plus minus factor here in the united states and if you have a high plus minus factor it means that when you step onto the basketball court everybody plays better everybody who's on the court gets more assists more free throws more baskets more everything and so what you're looking for are high plus minus factor people in your life and i really do believe the more i know the science the more i study this be ruthless get them out Mm. And if you're that person, fix yourself because you're having a terrible impact on other people. So that's not just a few things. I'm sorry I went on a little bit. But it's the beginning of the year. You know, ask yourself, who do I want to be? Who do I want to be? Not so much what do I want to do, but who do I want to become? And then how am I going to get
0: that? um, That's fantastic. Mm It's so good, Caroline. we um, That positive psychology you talked about just then—you tweeted recently that the Australian swimming team are getting into positive psychology. Mm-hmm. What exactly are we getting into?
3: There's a, a man who's brilliant. I think his name is Matthew Scholes, and uh, he presented the Canadian Positive Psychology Association this last summer. And it's just really a no-brainer, to be honest with you. Um, What they're bringing is positive coaching techniques that then are contagious with the people they work with, whether it's swimmers or rugby players or whatever, because energy and and optimism and the rest of it is very contagious. So it starts at the top. So how you're coached, Mm -hmm. the words that are used, um, the different ways that you phrase things can have a huge impact on swimmers. So what I just said to you about all success in life is preceded Mm -hmm. by being happy first. That's a really important Science. I remember sitting at Penn in 2005 when this research came out thinking, wait, I have my my great uncles are Olympic gold and silver medalists. I think they're still the only siblings to go one, two in the Summer Olympics. So 1912 Olympics. So I've been fascinated by excellence and performing and goals and the rest of it my whole life. And when I sat there and saw this research by three of the top people in the positive psych field, they looked at hundreds of pieces of research, all kinds of research, and this slam dunk finding was that if you want to succeed in life, you better be happy first, so you better believe. That all the Olympic committees in the world ought to be looking at exactly this finding, which is how do we improve the well-being and the emotional flourishing of athletes, so that we predispose them to have more zest, more optimism, you know, more grit, more resilience, all those things, because that's what goes along with flourishing. It's all right there in that package.
0: That's fantastic because quite often I think, and Robbo, you you follow the rugby pretty closely, and we look at sports, but you know, if if it, if it is contagious and it's preceded by happiness, you have to say that quite often when you look at a coach of a team, they don't look happy. No, mm-hmm. they don't feel fulfilled, fulfilled, and you have to think that it's a spread through the dressing room, the training sessions. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the spirit has to be passed on, but they they just don't seem to be happy. No, it's a tough well, job.
3: Yeah, I wanna go one step further because I don't know I don't know much about rugby. I know a little bit, but I think it's probably very similar to American football. And let me tell you, if you've got a toxic player on a team, someone who just badmouths everything, always grumpy, maybe it's a star, but someone who's just really negative, the research shows that you wanna get that person out of the locker room as fast as you can. Just cut them. Mm. Because there are a lot of companies that run on that principle that take the most talented people here, maybe even the people who bring in the greatest sales. But ultimately, if they're toxic people, they're going to do more harm than good. Cut these people immediately. So I've seen this in American football teams. You get one bad apple in a locker room that turns the locker room.
1: We've got a guy here in the Australian rugby team called Kurtley Beale. Um and there's a lot of controversy at the moment because the Wallabies have a new coach, a guy called Michael Checker, and he's basically done that. He's booted this guy from the team and everyone's going, wow. how can you get rid of Kurtley Beale?" You know, he's Curtly Beale, And Michael Checker turned around and said, well, you know, Kirtley Beale's great, but um, one man doesn't make a 15-man rugby team.
3: There you go. That's exactly what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, it's the same in business. I was doing a speech recently in Sydney we were talking about creativity. And the people in the room said that back at their office, they had a guy that was, um, his his nickname was The Wall. Because no matter what ideas they wanted to do, they'd hit the wall. Huh. And he was just negative about everything. And I said to him, well, you know, you can deal with The Wall and it perhaps is he's not being respected and not being, his ideas aren't being drawn out of him. So, he doesn't feel significant. But uh-huh. if, Things don't change, then you've got to issue an exit visa because the wall will bring everybody else down. So, I think what you're saying is, um, is so pertinent for, for anything in uh, a social yeah. community, in a charity, in a church, whether it be a yeah. PNC at school, um, or whether it be a business of any size. But we put up with these people, um, and I think it goes back to what you said before, Carolyn. We just don't have the courage to to make the decision.
3: Oh, yeah. And you talk to any any leader who's dealt with this before and they'll tell you the sooner the sooner you deal with it, the better off everyone's going to be. If you yeah. tolerate them for too long. I mean, there's a great article in the New York Times just this week about how do you get rid of um, these um, disruptive stars? Um, but there is research on work teams and, and you know, what happens in the highest performing groups and what they found is that they are around a ratio of six positive interactions or comments to one negative negative. and when you're mm-hmm. around six to one you have more creativity more solutions, they make more money. Bottom line, um, there's just more harmony, and as a result, things flow. And I, I think it's called the upward spiral of well-being. It begins to build on itself. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to quickly say that you can almost have too much of that. All those, it's it's like over-trophying again. Too much praise, even if it's well-intended, um, can begin to sound really hollow. So it can't be all positive all the time. That's not realistic. Plus, negative emotions have a very important place in life. I mean. It, it's what keeps us moral and allows us to know when we've got done something we're ashamed of or when it's appropriate to be sad. So it's not about all happy all the time, but boy, there are some ratios that can predict good marriages, good work teams, and six to one is what you're looking at.
0: You've recently wrote about a perspective about whether people should tell other people about their dreams and goals. And Robo and I, um, love hearing people's dreams and we're a great believer in that as being a part of having your mojo going as when you talk about purpose and so on. Mm-hmm. Is it your intention people should talk to others about their dreams and goals?
3: That's, it's a really good question, and it's nuanced. My answer is nuanced, because generally, yes, but if mm-hmm. you share your, let's say, your good news or your goal or your dream or your hope with the wrong person, um, it can it can stop you dead in your tracks, and that's what I call the yeah. first responder research. So there's only one way, one way to respond to other people's dreams and goals, and that is with two things. Um curiosity and enthusiasm. And it's called active constructive responding. And if people respond in any other way, other than tell me more, or that's so cool. um, Don't share your dreams and goals with them. I, I could talk to you all day about the research showing that you have to shield your goals from people like that. So yes, you should share your dreams and goals, but only with the right people.
0: That's good. That's very, very good advice. We can let you um, get back to your day in Washington, DC. Um, something that I, I, I read a, a about in your is a blog or in your materials or, or on the TED Talk, um, and it fascinates me. There are many people who are doing great work, but never take the time to reflect. There yeah. are companies that do great work, but never take the time to reflect and just appreciate good work done. Mm-hmm. And there are those that are always what's next, what's next, what's next. And I can, I can kind of understand where that comes from. Mm-hmm. I just like your perspective is how, how does one know? that they have a happy, successful life?
3: Well, that's a good question. Um, I think quite often if you ask yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy am I, um, most people can give you a pretty good number and you want to be about a 7 or an 8. But I think it should also be what is it that that makes me happy and is my life fulfilling in all the right ways? Is it meaningful? You want to have a meaningful life, something that um, – you know you're, you're leaving the world a better place or you you're doing something good for other people whatever you've got to have purpose this icky guy that which I wake up for you've got to have positive relationships I mean it's no good if you're making a pile of money um, and you don't have good relationships with anyone around you because frankly the older you get the key determinant of well-being in life is your relationships with other people how good are they um, and you also want to have achievements you want to have things that are meaningful not just getting another raise or an iPod or another house or a car or whatever, all the research shows that possessions depreciate the moment you have them, but experiences with people appreciate for the rest of your life. So happy people, they savor what's good. They call it up regularly in their minds, um, and they reflect Mm -hmm. on it. And happy people do two things um, also very well. They're nostalgic about the past, And they they relive happy memories a lot, but then they're also anticipating the future in positive ways. So, the savoring personality is the one that captures good as it happens. Unhappy people never notice positive moments, they just slide right by them. Um, And they don't, I say, salute them. Salute them as they occur. Notice them. So, savor them. And then be nostalgic about the past and anticipate the future. And that's the recipe we're really looking for.
0: Fantastic. That is um, that's such good advice. We're going to let you go. And you mentioned right at the top of the show that you do a lot of coaching with people around the world. And I know, having spoken to a few people and read your stuff, you've got a very unique um, coaching approach. Can you just sort of um, bullet bullet point what what makes your approach different and unique? Yeah. Um, and people listening to this show who do want to get in touch with you. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been fantastic. How would they, how would they find you?
3: Oh, thank you for asking. Um, my website is a clearinghouse for all of this stuff, and that's just my name, CarolineMiller.com, and then an email is Caroline at CarolineMiller.com. Um, but my approach is, is is unique. I think it's pretty well known for being unique because um, when I coach people, I'm I'm looking for a real report card here. So I'm not going for expensive chats. I want to know what is it that you want to do that you're not doing right now. Where are you stuck? Um, what is the difference in life that that you want to make in whatever sphere of life you are i mean for some people it's a it's a small but meaningful goal to them i had one person say he just wanted to say i love you to his father before he died and it was so important to him that he overcome so many feelings that he do this but so i work with people um who are stuck who have big goals and who want to do things and have no regrets before they And I married the science of happiness with the science of goal setting. As I said, I was the first person ever to marry all these theories together, which still blows me away that the evidence-based book was not out there until creating your best life. But I also use interesting things like priming. How do you change your environment Um, with license plates and email addresses and computer passwords and pictures and aromas and all kinds of things? How do you prime your environment to be successful? And so I go into all of those things. And as far as I know, no one else is doing this. Um, So I pick my clients carefully. They have to be willing to work hard because I want the scorecard to be exactly what they want it to be. And that's usually out of their comfort zone.
0: Mm, That's lovely. And shout out to... uh, Cindy King, who is one of your clients, who's an outstanding individual, who's obviously doing great work uh, with you. So, um, <laughs> you. so Caroline, um, on behalf of Rob and I, thank you so much for your time. That was just obviously forty odd minutes, jam packed worth of uh, gold nuggets and takeouts, mm-hmm. Rob. Wasn't it? Um,
1: I don't think anyone out there's writing notes. I think they're actually rewinding to the beginning to pick up the bits <laughs> that they've missed.
3: <laughs> just, <laughs> You're very kind. <laughs> that was brilliant. I, I, the pleasure is all mine, and I so appreciate you taking the time to just ask these questions.
0: We um, we will uh, endeavour to get you down to Australia mm. uh, because we need to get you down to the Cherrybrook uh, rugby under-11 team for training, Robert, don't we? <laughs> yeah, I think um, a few choice words
1: from you, Caroline, might motivate my under-11s.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I would love to. Find me a way. Find me a corporate <sighs> speech, and I'm coming. Really, I'm being serious. Beautiful. My Beautiful. empty nest So bring me down. You know,
0: we... You know, we just said to ourselves, Caroline, Mm -hmm. why not? That's right.
3: Why not? Why not? That's right. Exactly. There you go. I'm
1: throwing the challenge out to the club sponsors now. Come on, let's get together and get something happening.
0: Actually, I've got it, Robbo. I know exactly who to approach. Okay. Vegemite. Vegemite. (laughs)
2: Vegemite.
0: Vegemite. Why not? Vegemite. Why not?
3: Oh, I've got to tell you, that stuff's horrible, but God bless you for having (laughs) it.
0: Do you, know,
1: do you know, Gary and I used to work in Radio Caroline and um, Susie Quattro came into the radio station where we worked and the breakfast, mm-hmm. the guys on the, the breakfast show, and I think you call it mornings in America, um, yes. challenged her to have some Vegemite on toast and her <sighs> words were, it tastes like a cat's bum.
3: <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't know what that tastes like, but I'm telling no. you, it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll bring you some peanut butter. I'll, uh, I'll bring you peanut butter. We'll trade. Yeah. You try peanut butter. I'll try your Vegemite.
1: I actually gave my kids peanut butter and jelly the other day, and they loved it.
3: Well, there you go. See? Yep. I mean, we've got it all figured out over here.
0: That's right. Okay. So, we're talking peanut butter and cotties, because I think we just lost Vegemite as a potential sponsor. Yes. Uh-oh. Craft.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: Kraft wow. peanut butter. Anyway, it's really been a pleasure and if you ever want to dig deeper or go sideways on one of these topics, I'm always available.
1: Oh, I'm sure Gary's still got a page of questions that he wants
0: to get through, don't you, Gary? I do. I actually have a page of things that I was going to get to, but it was just so much gold mm. that uh, – and and I'm, I'm pleased. So, we will definitely – um, Caroline, if you're if you're into it, we will definitely get you back because there's loads more to talk about. You, I'm
3: always available, and the New Year's time is a great time to talk again. Really, it's, I'm easy to find.
0: We'll put all the books and everything we talked about, we'll put all the links on the website, on the um, show notes on the website. People can uh, can just get, get through to you pretty easily. So that's great. Thank you so much for your time. It was such a treat to meet you.
3: Well, thank you. And I look forward to being in touch again.
0: Thanks,
1: Caroline.
3: All right, bye-bye.
0: Getting
1: your mojo working. This
3: is the Mojo Radio Show.
1: Do it. I'm, uh, I'm going to check out some more interviews on that TED website after talking to her. It's very good, TED.com. Um,
0: I and mean, there's a lot of good stuff on there, I think there's a lot of ordinary stuff on there, mm. but it is definitely worth going through because the there's an eclectic collection of um, of speakers on there and content and topics. So um, definitely, highly recommended. Cool, I reckon uh, that's about a
1: show for this week, don't you? We're done.